Hi, my name is Dr. Mark Alandari, and I'm an infectious diseases specialist in New Orleans. Hi, my name is Hope Hickerson, and I'm a health education specialist and reporter. This is the Noise Filter Podcast, where an infectious diseases physician... That's me, and a health education expert... That's me. Talk about what you need to know to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. For more information about Noise Filter, your public health podcast, and to watch and share our incredible informative animations, please visit us at noisefiltershow.com. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to us. So let's get started. Welcome to Noise Filter. My name is Mark Allendary. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we have a great guest I'm going to be interviewing over the next couple of days, and that's Dr. Maury Cohen, who is a professor of sustainability studies at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. He's the editor of sustainability, science practice, and policy, and the associate editor of environmental innovation and sustainability transitions. Dr. Cohen has been looking recently at what the global slowdown has meant for the environment and sustainable living. And we're very excited to have him on Noise Filter today. Dr. Cohen, thank you so much uh, for being here today. Great. Thanks for having me. So we're going to just kind of just start right in. And and you had an article that caught our eye, which was, does the COVID-19 outbreak mark the onset of a sustainable consumption transition? And I just want to start the conversation by asking, what does sustainable consumption transition mean to you? issue of sustainable consumption, which has a long history tracing back to the early 1990s. The essence of the issue is that global sustainability, um, both in terms of materials utilization and energy consumption, as well as social equity, requires fundamental changes in lifestyles, and in particular, lifestyles of those of us in affluent countries of the global north where we consume vastly outsized proportions of resources. And when we talk about changing lifestyles, and especially when we're talking about uh, changing the consumption patterns of our society, I'm going to focus, how about if we focus this conversation specifically on the U.S., at least in the, in the context of the next question, because when we're talking about uh, you know, high resource or uh, resource rich countries, the U.S. and our economic system and our society is almost predicated on consumption. I mean, I'll give you the great example. Remember when George Bush Jr., during the Iraq war was like, here's $300, go shopping, right? You know, it was such a great kind of an easy example to be able to point our finger at, to talk about how in our, at least our American society, we are again predicated on consumption. So one, just that as a factoid, if you could just respond to that. And two, how can we reverse many centuries of this consumption lifestyle so that we can reach this idea of global sustainability? So let me um, just sort of preface my response here in turning the clock a little back a little bit further, and that there was an iconic statement made in 1992 by George Bush Sr., just as he was departing for the Rio Earth Summit, which was the global confab held in Brazil that really put sustainable development on the, the global agenda. Prior to his departure, there was lots of going back and forth as to whether he was actually going to attend. And in one of those moments, he stepped to a podium and said that 
the American public has nothing to fear by my going to the to the conference in Rio because I will not do anything to compromise the American standard of living. And uh, what he was speaking to specifically was a chapter of one of the defining documents of the Rio Earth Conference that was specifically devoted to um, the issue of sustainable consumption and sustainable production. So what we're talking about here today literally traces back to those two very prescient moments by father and son. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, this is a challenge for American policymaking, especially because the pivotal policy objective ever since the end of World War II has been to grow the size of the domestic economy. And uh, elected officials who fail to achieve that objective are tossed aside. The preponderant point of political rhetoric in the United States is about growing the size of the economy and the various extensions of that, of uh, adequate job growth and uh, national economic competitiveness. But, um, you know, we have armloads of survey data that demonstrate that economic growth does not directly translate to improvements in well-being, in improvements in quality of life, in improvements of, of happiness. So, um, you know, we're going through a period of, of recalibration and COVID was certainly has been an important element of that where I think growing numbers of people and probably growing numbers of your listeners are becoming more and more attuned to the fact that this sort of age-old relationship that has been thought to exist between economic growth and material consumption is not making us any better. That's a great point. And we can look at some of the um, some of the European countries. I'm looking specifically at some of the Scandinavian countries that do prove that point where they are able to limit growth. They have social democracies uh, where, you know, growth is regulated to a large degree, looking at the sustainability of the environment. But at the same time, you have indexes, you know, the, the happy factors or, or the um, I forget what they call it, where they have some of the, the happiest populations in the world, but wanted to go back just one minute and kind of go back to, you know, we talked about tracing the Bush father-son element, but I want to go back even before that, because in 1980, you know, I'm old enough to remember, I'm sure you do, when we had a significant gas crisis in the 70s. And I remember waiting in long lines, grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, my father, he had an otter even at the end of his license plate. That was the day he'd be able to get gas. And one of the things that I know that, that President Jimmy Carter did was put up solar panels in the White House. And then we had Reagan who came in and as kind of that show of anti of, of pro-consumption, of anti-sustainability, kind of made a big show of removing those solar panels from the White House. I'm sure you probably remember that. And I think that all fits into kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah. So uh, there's a famous story, I think, dating back to the um, to the Obama years in the White House, where the climate activist Bill McKibben found those solar panels in a warehouse or some facility wow. up in Vermont <laughs> and um, put them on a truck and, and drove them back to the White House with the intention of trying to reinstall these antiquated photovoltaic panels back on the White House. I could be wrong about the details of this. It may have actually occurred during the Trump years 
But you're right. I mean, Jimmy Carter was really the only president who had the temerity to speak forcefully and provocatively about these kinds of questions, asking for sacrifice, asking for a reconsideration of the principles that underpinning dominant lifestyles was ultimately going to be um, be necessary. So during his presidency from 1976 to 1980, these issues were in many respects on the political agenda. And it wasn't the only reason, but um, Jimmy Carter was politically punished for speaking in such terms. And we elected Ronald Reagan, who promised that uh, it was warning in America and that we didn't need to worry about these things any longer. Thanks for listening to Noise Filter, your public health podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Noise Filter podcast. Follow us on social media and leave us a review letting us know your favorite part of the show. You can find me, Hope Hickerson, at hopehickerson.com. And you can find me at Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at the Dr. Derry. That's D-R-D-E-R-Y. To see and share our amazing animations and find out more information about us, the show, as well as links to our social media, go to noisefiltershow.com. We are grateful to our sponsors, including Access Health Louisiana and the End the Epidemic Initiative, who are working to bring equitable health outcomes to everyone they serve. Hope, any last words? Stay well out there, folks, and continue taking steps to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. That includes exercise, a good diet, getting adequate sleep, and seeing your healthcare providers regularly. And protect yourself and others by getting the COVID-19 vaccine and booster, wearing a mask, and social distancing wherever possible. Remember, health is a human right. <laughs>